Let's go ahead and start. Restart. Resume. Okay, we had uh, three arguments, four so far. Circumstantial, the anthropic principle, logical analysis, the formation of granite, and now for a statistical analysis. Numbers are the hardest forms of evidence that the human mind can grapple with. Statements and descriptions are of one kind. Numbers are on the other side. You can't fight too much with numbers. So here's a statistical analysis. It's, a, it's an interesting way of looking at it. It's a chance is, is very subjective. We use it every day. It's also a mathematical concept called probability. What are the chances that something would occur? What are the chances it would not occur? In day-to-day -day life, 10 to the power of 8 or 100 million, if something will keep on occurring 100 million times, we say in our own jargon, it's going to always occur. So it's a fact. If it will occur only once and will not occur 10 to the power of 8 times, 10 to the power of 8 is 100 million again, then we say it's not possible. When it comes to scientific evaluation, in other words, when they build these roller coasters or suspension bridges or send off a plane into the sky or a rocket into the outer space, then the principles of some of those things that they use have to be mathematically brought to at least 10 to the power of 15, one quadrillion. In other words, it must occur 10 to the power of 15 times with only one chance of failure. And then they will use it. That's if for a scientific evaluation. And so if there's only one chance of occurrence and 10 to the power of 15 chances of non-occurrence of failure, that according to scientific evaluation, it is not possible. That's out. When it comes to stating a scientific law, the number goes up to, one, to the 10 to the power of 50. 10 to the power of 50 occurrences and one non-occurrence, the law is established. One non-occurrence, one rather one occurrence with 10 to the power of 50 non-occurrences, it is utterly impossible. So it becomes a scientific law. 10 to the power of 50 is an arbitrary number. But how many of us can grasp 10 to the power of 50? That's too big a number. But let me give you an example let me give you an idea of what it might be like. Suppose we are looking at the law of gravity. And I'm going to leave this pointer once per second, looking for that chance in which the pointer will not come down like this, but it will just stay there or float away. So I'm looking for that one chance, OK? To do it 10 to the power of 18 times will take me 15 billion years. Oh, thank you. Somebody said, wow. <laughs> we told ourselves in the beginning, if something impresses you, you just go ahead and say, wow. Okay. So to do it just 10 to the power of 18 times will take me 15 billion years. To do it 10 to the power of 20 times will take me 1.5 trillion years. What is 15 billion years? The age of our universe from the Big Bang till today. 
So you're still going on looking for that one chance. Can you see that 10 to the power of 50 is a huge number? That's all we're trying to say in this. The 10 to the power of 50 is a huge number. If all 6 billion of us on the earth were to do this once per second for, for 1.5 trillion years, we would still be 10 to the power of 27, 28 or something like that. That's all. 30. 10 to the power of 30. So all of us trying, we still got, haven't got that one chance. So 10 to the power of 50 is really huge. One chance and 10 to the power of 50 non-chances means it is utterly impossible. Sir Michael Denton from New Zealand, I think, was the first one to challenge Darwin on his theory of evolution at its origins, the origin of life. What are the chances that the first cell had 100 proteins in it because we need 100 proteins at the minimum for the cell to be alive. Okay, we need that many interactions. What are the chances that 100 proteins would get together by themselves? 100 proteins giving a maximum combined probability of 10 to the power of minus 2,000 or one chance in 10 to the power of 2,000. 10 to the power of 50, we say, is impossible. Now, this is a huge number. As it is, we said this was big. This is really huge. Suppose we tell him, Sir Michael Denton, I think you made a calculation that's, uh, that's flawed. You went off the mark by 100 billion. Now, that's a big mistake for our scientists to make. But just say, Dr. Denton, you made a mistake. The number should be smaller by a factor of 100 billion. What is 10 to the power of 2,000 divided by 100 billion? Do you know? It's 10 to the power of 1,989. <laughs> you have not touched it at all. So you can't question these numbers because they are too big to be questioned. Now, proteins are made up of what? Amino acids. Now, in one cell, if you want 100 proteins, you need 10,000 amino acids. And the 10,000 amino acids have to be all levo, left-sided links. That's all. Only left-sided links. In the chromosomes, you need about 100,000 nucleotides. And in this case, you need only right-handed links. What are the chances of getting 10,000 amino acids left-handed and 100,000 nucleotides right-handed in one and the same place to have formed that cell. They did a calculation. <laughs> one chance in 10 to the power of 33,113. Wow. wow, thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> Harold Morowitz, he said, why don't we look at the whole cell? Cell wall, cell membrane, Golgi apparatus, mitochondria, everything. What is the chance of bringing all those components together in the same point at the same time so they just might form a cell? One chance in 10 to the power of 100 billion. One is to 10 to the power of 50 is impossible. 
and that is just to bring the stuff together. Now somehow we got to put life into it. We have, that's not calculated yet. And it's not yet calculated. Once life comes in, each part must know what to do. What are the chances that they'll know what to do? What are the chances that that first cell will know exactly how to divide so that when it's divided, both are still alive? Have you ever tried to divide something into two and both still alive? Don't try it on yourself. <laughs> or on anybody else. You can't do that. How come that first cell did it? Both were alive at the end and then became more and more complex. Plant life, animal life, and then finally human beings. And then, and then finally not only did we have life, we began to think. From where did that come? That's not yet in that 100 billion. And then we began to appreciate things like courage and beauty and love and all that. Come on. If the list is endless, what are the chances? Are you with me? Here's the logic then. If there are only two possibilities, like we said there were, only two, and only one is correct, then if A is possible, so is B. If A becomes improbable, B becomes probable. If A becomes impossible, B becomes fact. Let me give you a real life, maybe a maths test, but I'll make it easy for you. Is a square root of a number bigger or smaller than the number? Smaller. smaller. Square root of 9 is? Okay, here's the test now. But don't answer until I tell you. Because I'm going to give you two options. What is the square root of 25? I'm going to give you two options. A and B. Option A is 33. And option B, I won't even tell you what it is. <laughs> Which will you choose? Why will you choose B? You didn't see it. Because A is? Impossible. If the first cell was impossible by itself, which is option A, then option B becomes fact. It was a supervised event. It was not a spontaneous event. Look, it is very simple really. You don't have those big numbers. Let's do a little gambling. Not a Christian thing to do. But you know, if you're in a university setting where I usually present this, I usually present the, this seminar on secular university campuses. So I say, let's gamble. Let's gamble. I'll toss a coin, and we'll call heads and tails. If I call it right, then you give me 10 bucks. All right? And if you call it right, well, I'll give you 10 bucks. If you call it wrong, you give me 10 bucks. But here it is. We're going to, we're going to play a gambling game now. I toss it up and say, heads? And it's right, heads. Give me 10 bucks. Toss it up, heads again. I shout out heads, and it's heads again. 10 bucks. Toss it up, heads. Heads again. 9, 10, 20 times. Will you want to play some more with me? 
50 times. Heads, all heads, my pocket is bulging. <laughs> 99 times. How many of you will go 99 times with me? Just keep on, heads, 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 I'm winning. Look, 100 is only 10 to the power of 2. And in 10 to the power of 2, what will you turn around and tell me? You're cheating. <laughs> you have rigged the game. Won't you tell me that? You rigged it. Most probably that coin has only heads. <laughs> or something or the other. It's not happening by itself. Are you with me? It's not happening by itself. 99 times, no sir, it's not happening. It is rigged. Look friends, 10 to the power of 100 billion times this universe is rigged. Don't tell me. 10 to the power of 2 times you ran away. How come you're swallowing 10 to the power of 100 billion? It is rigged. Somebody is monkeying with those numbers. That's what a scientist said. If you look at the numbers, somebody has been monkeying with that. And of course, he used that word. But we know what that means. It means it was supervised. Spontaneously impossible. The universe is unlikely, very unlikely, deeply, shockingly unlikely. That said, November 2002. And therefore... If it is deeply, shockingly unlikely and it is there, you've got to call it a miracle. Thank you. Wow. So what do the people say when they don't want to accept it? Here's a statement of how it all originated. According to Bill Bryson in A Short History of Nearly Everything, what caused the universe? Here it is. So what caused it? Some quality or thing. We don't know what it is quality or thing that introduced a measure of instability into the nothingness that was. Look, if you say there was nothing, then how about that quality and thing? Where did that come from? <laughs> Can anybody grasp the idea of nothing being unstable or stable? There's nothing to be stable or unstable. <coughs> so we say nothing was stable and suddenly nothing was unstable and presto, we have 125 billion galaxies in, in orbit. How can that be? How did life get started? Here's an explanation. It was a singularly hostile environment and yet somehow life got going. Look, the somehow is the most unscientific word anybody can use in any explanation. <laughs> Are you with me? Yeah. Somehow life got going. Some tiny bag of chemicals twitched and became animate. We were on our way. <laughs> the fact is this book is read on all campuses out there and nobody questions it at all. It's just swallowed, hook, line and sinker. But as an inquirer, like we said we were going to be, if you are an inquirer, you cannot swallow it. You've got to weigh it out. And when you wait out, it does not stand to any reason whatsoever. Give me an explanation. Don't say somehow. How do the birds fly south? Somehow. What kind of an explanation is that? No. We want an explanation. And there's no explanation. You must say there is no explanation. Don't say somehow. Difficulties of belief may be great. The absurdities of unbelief are greater. 
So why do the people continue? Here are some of their explanations and let's see if they're really solid scientific explanations. Why should God rule and I serve? That's his objection. How about this? I didn't want there to be a God who would hold me responsible for my immoral lifestyle. So out he goes, he's not even in existence. For a fruitful debate, we need to understand evolution's foundation. We need to understand this because ultimately evolution is not about scientific details. That's a stunning statement to make. And I'll show you to you in just a moment why that statement is, is valid. Ultimately, evolution is about God. This is from Cornelius Hunter who talked about Darwin's God. This is where it really began, not here. And I'll give you the next statement from a Nobel laureate. His name is George Wald. Look at his statement here. Spontaneous generation, meaning that which occurred by itself, was disproved 100 years ago. And this is written in 1954, 150 years ago. But that leads us to only one other conclusion, that of supernatural creation. We cannot accept that on scientific grounds. Can you see the change? Bang! From science to philosophy. I hold a philosophy, so I can't accept that. What about your scientific details? No, no, never mind that. I've got a philosophy. We cannot accept that on philosophical ground. Therefore, we choose to believe the impossible that life arose spontaneously by chance. That is actually a correct confession. Because if you look at the scientific details, they do not support the other side. I don't want there to be a God. I don't want the universe to be like that. That's it. That's his, that's his reason. So why can't somebody else draw a line and stand on the other side and say, I want the, there to be a God. I want the universe to be like that. We are getting nowhere with that. So origin of life by random chance is utterly impossible statistically. And also with those, all those other four uh, arguments we saw, the only alternative is supernatural creation by design. There is intelligent design all around us. There must be a creator in existence. This creator should be called God. So if you take those four columns of argument, for atheism against creationism, for creationism against atheism, the tilt of the balance is very decisively towards there being a supernatural state out there. Is that supernatural power or a being? It's very simple, really, to, quest, to, to, to settle on that. It may not be complete proof, but look. If you and I, in our finite realm, can think and talk and argue and debate and wrestle with things, then don't you think the power that created us also can do that? How can we have something that the power does not have? Then how would he have made us? Therefore, if I have a personality, and you have a personality, then that power should also have a personality. Otherwise, we would not have an origin for our personality. And if that's the case, what is out there in the supernatural realm is not just a power. 
It's a being with a personality. It's as simple as that. Okay, we just argued it out. With that, let's go on to the search for, okay, if there's a God, now what's his name? What's his identity? First, the question that really got me going was this. Is your religion true because you believe it, or do you believe your religion because it is true? I heard it over the radio once, and I wondered what kind of a question was that anyway? Some kind of a party joke? And a slick answer would, you know, get it over with? No, it wouldn't. So I looked at it carefully. This is what we will call belief-based. Is your religion true because you believe it? That's belief-based. Because it is true will be truth or evidence-based. So I looked at the ramifications of these statements. If it is belief-based, then every religion must be accepted as true as long as somebody believes it. In other words, not just religion, every statement on earth should be accepted as true. If it is belief-based, as long as somebody believes it. Okay, the bird that went by was a crow, black, yeah, we have to agree it. And if somebody else stands and says, no, it was not black, it was a white pigeon, you should say yes too. Because he believes it. Are you with me? So if it's belief-based, everything is okay. Your God is the product of your belief. If you believe your God is big, well, then he's big. If you believe your God is just a bitty little fellow out there, well, then he's so bitty. If you believe your God is nice and kind, then he is nice and kind. If you believe your God is rude and nasty, then your God is rude and nasty. So you bestow on him the characteristics. Belief is what creates truth in this statement. Would a belief-based religion appeal to you? Would it be deeply satisfying to you? Not when you're sitting here, but when the troubles come in like a tidal wave. When it's coming there and the troubles are bigger than you, let me tell you, your God won't work at all because your God is your own mind. That's it. You formed your own God and your God cannot be bigger than you. How can he meet the tidal wave? You have nowhere to fall back on. If it is truth-based, every religion is not true. There are merits and demerits, and you can weigh them out. God has his own attributes and characteristics. Despite your belief, you can look for them, but you can't bestow any on him or her. Truth creates belief, not the other way around. And here's the question. What is the basis of saying your religion is true? I had asked this during my search scores of people. I might burst a bubble here. 95 to 99% of people I asked could not answer that question. And I, I can't think this group is any different. I've asked Christians, I've asked Hindus, I've asked Muslims, I've asked Buddhists. They simply cannot answer that question. You ask a Muslim, for instance, why do you say that Allah is the true God? Well, it's written in the Quran. Oh, I see, if it's written in the Quran, then what about the Hindu? They've got their Bhagavad Gita. You ask the Christian, why do you believe in Jesus? Oh, he said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Oh, yeah? He's way and the truth and the life. Well, Gautama Buddha, he said, I'm super enlightened. Now what? You're stuck. Defend yourself. I tried to defend myself and fell flat. 99% cannot answer that question. Because you've got to have three levels. You've got to have something that you talk about. You've got to have a reason for that. And you should be able to defend the reason. Most religionists can do those two, but they cannot defend it. Because they'll give you a reason. Why do you believe? Well, 
you know, I got a, I had a wonderful experience. Oh yeah, you had a wonderful experience. The Hindu also had a wonderful experience. I've had Buddhists also who have answered prayer. Do you know that? Yeah, they will tell you, they will show you. They brought this ash all the way from India, from one of the gurus, and put it on the belly of their child, and the belly got well, and the child got well. Now what are you gonna say? Call the name of the guru, Satya Sai Baba is his name. Okay, let's worship Satya Sai Baba then. No, these are subjective things. I did not want something subjective. I wanted a reason to believe. That doesn't mean all experiences are wrong. It's only that I wanted a reason to believe. So, the question of truth now. Now there are lots of definitions, but historically there are three. Number one, traditional. Number two is modernistic. And number three is postmodernism. Traditional is reference to a scripture, something written, code. In this thing, there will be somebody who goes into that, reads it, and comes and tells us what to do. And who is the one who goes inside there? The clergy. Commoners like us, oh, we can't go into that sacred place. Modernism came around and said, why do you want to listen only to the clergy? We ourselves can do it. And they formed what is known as a scientific method of inquiry. The steps. Form a theory, experiment, gather the data, analyze the data, and only the conclusions of that data is truth. Everything else is suspect. Number three is postmodernism. That is the dominant idea of truth in the world today. Postmodernism says there is no such thing as truth. So you throw this out, throw that out, and say there's no such thing as truth. All statements are only relatively true. That's it. So which side of the table is this pointer? Right side. Well, it depends on which side of the table you're standing on. And if I'm standing on this side, well, then this is right side. If I'm standing on that side, become the left side. So which side is this side? If I'm standing on this side, then this side is this side, and that side is that side. If I'm standing on that side, then this side is that side, and that side is this side. <laughs> it's true. And so we extrapolate and say, everything on earth is like this. You can never say what is true, because it's only relatively true. There is not a thing known as absolute truth. That's what they say. So I looked at these three. When I looked at traditional truth, there's a dismal picture historically. Corruption, treachery, torture, murder. Like the Christian Crusades, Muslim jihads, and the Papal Inquisitions. Reprehensible. I actually, honestly, turned away. I said, if this God wrote these things down in these traditional writings and they made the people do this, I didn't want this at all. So I went to modernism, but then... It denies the existence of God, and here I'm looking for God, and modernism says there is no such thing as God. There's only that which is naturally seen and tested. So that was out. When I went to postmodernism, it was very broad and peaceful and easy going, but suddenly when it came to absolute truth, it says there is no such thing as absolute truth. Whew. How do you deal with that? So. I looked to see if what they said first, and first define absolute truth. It's not absolute, absolute in the, in the absolute sense of infinity, but in our existence, here's the definition of absolute truth. That which is valid for all people, 
in all places at all times, okay? That is our definition of absolute truth. Is it true that's what they said? Here it is. There's no objective standard by which truth may be determined so that truth varies with individuals and circumstances. There's only one principle that can be defended under all circumstances in all stages of human development. It is the principle anything goes. We'll come back to this. Anything goes means anything is acceptable means everything is acceptable, right? Right. Anything goes means everything is acceptable. So all so-called truth is only relatively true. There is no such thing as absolute truth. In my book, I have examined this in about 12 or 13 different ways. I'm going to show you only three. Everything goes. Remember that statement? Everything goes. In other words, everything is acceptable. What's the meaning of everything? Can it leave out anything? No, it can't. Then it must include absolute truth. You've got yourself stuck, right? Yeah. If you use the word everything. If everything is acceptable, then absolute truth also should be acceptable. Why not? And you bring one absolute truth in, out goes relativism. No fixed meaning. Saw that? Right side or left side of the table? Well, there's no fixed meaning because it depends on which side you're standing on. So next, look, there's no fixed meaning when you say up, down, love, hate, nothing is fixed. Really? Let's take that phrase and make a sentence out of it. There is no fixed meaning in any word. Do you know that that sentence requires a fixed meaning to tell me what it's saying? You have defeated yourself quite badly. If there is no fixed meaning in what it is saying, then there is no fixed, there is a fixed meaning then somewhere. Defeated. The third one is uh, a conversation. If everything is relatively true, then everything is also relatively false. That nobody likes to say. So everything, sir, is relatively false. Is that what you're trying to say? No, 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 I'm saying only everything is relatively true. But if you say everything is relatively true, everything is also relatively false. So here's a conversation. Long ago, man went to the moon. So these two guys are trying to figure out whether he really went there. And one guy is strong. No? He did go to the moon. No, he did not. I saw him on TV. Oh, yeah. The TV could be playing a TV stunt. Gone somewhere to Arizona and picture those rocks and got some guy to stamp on the mud out there. No, it was on the headlines of the newspaper. Well, the headlines could be saying the truth. The headlines also could be false. And when I went to school, my teacher said the headlines were correct. <laughs> well, your teacher could be saying the truth, but your teacher could also be wrong. No, my dad said my teacher was very reliable. Well, your dad could be saying the truth, but your dad also could be saying that which is not the truth. Hey, you're talking about my dad. <laughs> I know my dad. Well, you might know your dad, you might not know your dad. <laughs> I know what I'm talking about, yeah, but you might not know what you're talking about. Hey, I know what's in my mind. Sure, you might know, but you might not know what's in your mind. Look, can we quit this silly, stupid, nonsensical talk? 
okay, I'll quit. But that does not mean I'll quit. <laughs> it's uh, anecdotal, so we smile. But if you watched, the first question was whether man went to the moon. And every subsequent question and response was taking us one step back, back, back away from the original question. And by the time you've gone through three, you can't retrace your steps back to the first at all. It's called infinite regression. If everything is only relatively true, then all you can have on this earth are questions, not a single answer. I don't know why you went to school at all. <laughs> no, there's no need to go to school if everything is relatively true. You can make up your own truth. Yeah. And get an A every time. <laughs> Isn't that true? Yeah. Come on, be logical. And we are inquirers. We're not fighting with anybody. We're just inquiring. If we say that, look, <laughs> what's the sense of doing anything? Why did you buy that stuff in the grocery store? It said that on that bottle, you know. How do you know it's true? You have no idea. The fact is everybody has an idea of absolute truth that they go by. It's only when they want to argue it out, they say there's no such thing as absolute truth. Relativism, then it looks like any apparent suggestion of relativism is either self-defeating or else it's not a real assertion, but something more like an empty slogan. That is precisely what I believe postmodernism best represents a mood, said Ravi Zacharias. To say it's true that nothing is true is intrinsically meaningless nonsense. The very statement there is no absolute truth is an absolute truth. So now I had knocked off all three. You can't live without some form of truth because you have to make decisions. So I went back to see what how. How did I come to that final conclusion? There's nothing left. Traditional modernism, postmodernism was out. Well, when I rechecked it, to my great relief, really, I found that I had made a big mistake. When it came to modernism and postmodernism, I had looked at what they were saying and I had grappled with them back and forth, right? When it had come to traditional truth, what did I do? Did I listen to the truth or was I listening or looking at the people's bad behavior? What I had done was looked at people's bad behavior, papal inquisitions and jihads and crusades and murder and torture and rape. But that's behavior. What is traditional truth saying? The fact is there's not just bad behavior. I had met some exceptionally wonderful people too. They, had, they were generous and self-sacrificing and helpful and loving and kind. And when I asked them, what's the secret of your life? Well, religion. Oh, so traditional truth can form beautiful people and also torture on the other side. So if that's the case, well, haven't you and I seen families in which somebody grows up so graceful in society and somebody becomes a criminal? Same family. So should I look at the criminal and say the, the family is bad? No. You look at the bad behavior, I couldn't throw out traditional truth. I had to go back to find out what it was saying. And that's when I saw this statement here. The medieval heritage is not nearly as discredited as its current critics would have us believe. And what's the medieval heritage? 
It is the truth as found in the sacred written codes or literature of antiquity, meaning ancient literature, which came down to us. What are they really saying? So what is this literature of antiquity? Oh boy. So many. And this is just a partial list. A small part of the big list. When I saw that, I almost sat down in just despair. How can anybody address all this? How many lifetimes did I have to go through all that? So I began to ask people, what did they think of that list? And you know, when I asked them, there were two camps that came out very clear. Camp number one, what do you think of that big list? They'd say, don't bother about that big list. Out of that list, there's only one correct way, mine. It's called exclusivism. The other camp on the other side, what do you think of that big list? Well, don't bother about that big list. Finally, all of them are only different paths to the same final goal. Don't bother, you'll get there. It's called pluralism. So one is exclusivism, one is pluralism. Which one was it anyway? I first went to pluralism. Because if I could settle out pluralism, then I could be where I am. I don't have to go anywhere else. I'm safe where I am. I'll finally end up there anyway. So I looked at it. What does pluralism say? They're all religions lead to God. They are different paths, but end up at the same destination. God is in the world, but Buddha, Jesus, Muhammad are in their little closets, and we should thank them, but never return to them. To understand God is to listen. Listen to Jesus and Muhammad and Buddha, but don't get caught up in the names. Uh, listen beyond them, listen to God's breath. This is a Zen saying. Zen is the mystic form of Buddhism. I want you to listen, uh, just keep in mind two, two phrases. Listen uh, to, listen beyond. We'll come back to it. Pluralism recognizes not only the existence of other religions, but their intrinsic equal values. Did you know that? And did you know that, that they had to say that? If they did not say they were equal, I and you as an inquirer will ask for the what? Best. And they cannot say what is best. That's exactly why you have pluralism, to say that there's nothing that's best. Everything is out there. So everything's out there in what way? Everything is equal. So the child sacrifice and witchcraft are the same as the peaceful religions of Buddhism and Hinduism. We have to agree to that if it is same. They're not only equal and valid, but uh, or not only valid and true, but equally so. So I went to the written codes. Do the writings sustain that pluralism? And this is a statement first from Hinduism, Bhagavad Gita. I, Krishna, you will recognize him by the flute. I am the goal, the upholder, the master, the witness, the home, the shelter, and the most dear friend. I am the creation and the annihilation, the basis of how much? Everything. The resting place and eternal seed. Let there be one scripture for the whole world, Bhagavad Gita. Let there be one God for the whole world, Sri Krishna. And one hymn, one mantra, one prayer, the chanting of his name. When it comes to the Islamic faith, Quran 2 and verse 255 is known as the regal or coronation verse of the Quran. And this is what it says. Allah. There is no God but he, the living, the self-subsisting supporter of all. His are all things in the heavens and on earth. His throne doth extend over the earth. He is the most high, the supreme. Buddhism, 
this Lord is truly the Arhat. Arhat is the one who has attained the highest level possible. Fully enlightened, perfect in his knowledge and conduct, well gone, world knower. What's this word here? Unsurpassed, leader of men to be tamed, teacher of gods and men, the Buddha, the Lord. Are you noticing a trend? For thus said the Lord who created the heavens, who is God, who formed the earth, I am the Lord and there are about 20 others. <laughs> no? I am the Lord and there is no other. Christianity, there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Did you, did you notice what they were saying? There is not a single solid religion that is worth its name that ever said I am one way and there is a good alternative out there. Every single one of them said I am the way and that's it. There is no other. There are some seats over here if anybody is outside. Not only did they say that they were the way, they also said the others were not the way. Now look at these statements here. The Buddha, Gautama Buddha, held that this belief in a permanent self or soul is one of the most deceitful delusions ever held by man. And he's talking about the doctrine of reincarnation that the Hindus hold. So the basic idea of Hinduism he describes as the most deceitful delusion ever held by man. Understand that I am he, before me there was no God form, nor shall there be after me. So one sentence and everybody else is knocked out of contention before or after him. All whoever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear. Those to whom the burden of Torah was entrusted yet refused to bear it are like a donkey laden with books. Wretched is the example of those who deny God's revelation. This is the Quran speaking about the Torah. And who, who, who was given the burden of the Torah? The Jews and the Christians. So look at the words that they're using at the others. So when you look at these words, how can pluralism now they are all equally true? Can you have a deceitful truth? No, you can't. Can you have somebody as wretched as well as good? Can you have a donkey that's valid? <laughs> no, I, you can say they're all bad, but pluralism cannot say they're all equally good. Look at what they themselves said. The written codes claim ex clearly, exclusively, each religion claims to be the only way. So I looked at the idea of pluralism. Equality? How, how do you say anything is equal? Suppose I have to, I claim that you and I are of equal weight. What did we do to make that claim? We would have had to stand at the same weighing machine, the same reference point. Are you with me? There is no reference point for religion. There is no universally accepted reference point for truth. You cannot say they are equal. There is no basis for saying that. Number two, the Zen saying. Remember the Zen saying? Listen to Jesus and Muhammad and Buddha. Don't get caught up in the names. Listen beyond them. Do you know what I did? I want to do that. The Zen saying said, listen to them. But don't get caught up, listen beyond them. There was a big problem I faced. Do you know what it was? When I listened to them, they told me not to listen beyond them. 
when I listened to Muhammad, he said, you dare not listen beyond me. I am the seal of the prophets and that's it. When I listened to Jesus, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Who said there's anything else? So you cannot listen to and beyond. You either listen to or beyond them. If you want to listen beyond them, you must shunt them out of the way. You can't listen to and beyond. Number three, the character of God. If this God gave these different religions and told the Hindus that they had deities and demigods and semigods and goddesses numbering about 330 million in that peninsula. Thank you. And then turned around, <laughs> and then turned around to the Muslims and said, there is just one and Allah is his name. And then turned to the Christians and then mixed up, mixed up the whole thing by saying there's not 330 million, there's not one, there's three in one. Wow. Not just the fact that they are different. Religion has been the basis of the most devastating and cruel wars in history. So what was he doing telling us all these different religions and just setting them at, at variance one against the other? and having fun watching that? His character is in question if he really gave them all their religions. So at the heart of every religion is an uncompromising commitment to a particular way of defining who God is or is not and accordingly of defining life's purpose. Every religion at its core is exclusive. What is truly arrogant is the postmodernist pluralism which in vain pursuit of a superficial tolerance negotiates away the ultimate commitment by which any religion lives. The ultimate commitment is the statement that I am the only way. That's the ultimate commitment. Agreement cannot be made without substantial compromise of core beliefs. I tried it. I tried to form a generic religion. If you do that you will mutilate every other religion beyond, beyond recognition and you'll have only yours left. Every religion claims itself to be the only way. Wow. So what are the options when there's more than one that's claiming to be champion? I am champion, so am I. And so am I. What are the options? All are correct, that's absurd and illogical. Right? You can't have so many. All are wrong, that's, that's not absurd, that's not illogical, but how do you know that they are wrong? There are two things I couldn't get across to say that they were all wrong. Number one, to say anything is wrong, I must know what is right. right. I was an inquirer like you. Now, I didn't know what was right, so how will I call them wrong? So I must go up to Muhammad and say, thank you, sir. I know you, you, you went up Mount Hira and you did talk to the angel Gabriel. That's what you are saying, but you're all wrong. And I go up to Jesus and I tell him, nice sermon on the mount, but all rubbish, you know. <laughs> Can I say that? I have no authority, I have no knowledge, I have no piety, I have no standing, nothing. <laughs> I couldn't call them all wrong for that reason. Another reason is all of them were saying that there is something known as the supernatural. And if I had to wipe them all off, I would have to wipe that also off the table. There's nothing supernatural, but we settled that in the previous se session. So that, that couldn't be. All cannot be wrong. I was left with only one option here. There's only one that is legitimate, legitimate and correct when it says it is the only way. <coughs> now I've thrown this out as a challenge for a few years now. If there is any other option, let me know. 
If not, we, I'm, we stay with this because that is the only option left. It's a crucial, amazing, pivotal conclusion. There's only one religion that can make a legitimate claim of being the only way. One, only one. Any questions? Few minutes more. No questions. You're all clear on that then? There is only one way. You know, we don't know which way it is because remember we are inquirers. We don't know which way it is, but we know that there's only one. There cannot be more than one. So what's the significance of saying there's only one way? It's a conclusion that we as neutral persons reached. Not like that exclusivist who said there's only one way, mine. No, we say there's only one way. Which one it is? We don't know right now. It destroys the concept of pluralism. It's a strong application to followers. In other words, today, if you're a Muslim out there, oh, that's what I usually say. If you're a Muslim or anybody out there, you cannot espouse pluralism without first denying your own Muhammad and Allah. If you're a Christian, I know in the back of your mind so many Christians have that. Could the others also be? But you cannot entertain that without first proving your Jesus wrong. Because he said he was the only way. First prove him wrong, then you can run to pluralism. It is a fundamental claim. What's fundamental, foundational? What happens to the superstructure if the foundation is broken up? The superstructure also falls. What happens to, for instance, example, here's a guy who is a witness in a murder trial. And he takes the stand and he gives a superb description of the murder scene. He was there, he says. Saw the murder happening, he saw the clothes they were wearing, the facial expressions, the knife, the blood and everything. He gives a superb statement over there and everybody says, wow, he's got the guy cornered. And then the defense counsel stands up and says, where were you on that day? He says, well, I was there. And then he shows a video clip with this guy, duty free stop shopping in Amsterdam while the event took place in Arizona, five minutes difference on the video clip. He was in Amsterdam. What happens to all that detailed description now? Garbage. It's fundamental for a witness who's making a statement to be there. To say that you are the only way is fundamental. If I find out you are not the only way, I'm sorry, sir, you are no way at all. It is so fundamental. Number four. Oh, sorry. Number five. It is the most powerful motivating claim to say this is the only way. Yep. Let me give you an example that I usually give to describe this. Suppose you went to office, to your office. It's on the 40th floor of a high-rise building. And you look down from the window and see the 30th floor on fire. You run to the elevator, stopped. Stairways, smoke coming out, can't go down that stairway. So run back to your office, close the door, get a little, you know, a, a, a piece of maybe towel or something and, and, and fix up the door so that no smoke comes in. Maybe hold it over your face. And as you feel the heat coming up, you realize this is the end. So in your mind you say, gone, I'm gone. 
And so you call up in your mind your wife and your family, your brothers and sisters and goodbye, this is the end. Just when you give up all hope, a fireman runs up the staircase and bursts open the door and shouts out through that smoke, is anyone in this room? Follow me down this stairway here, it is the only way out. What will you do? Go with them. That's what the founders wanted you to do. They didn't want you to just leave through what they were saying and then run to class to get a B or a C or maybe even an A in your tests. What they wanted you to do was read what was written, what you're supposed to do, pull up your bootstraps and go that way. They didn't want you to get any grades in school, my friends. It is the most powerful motivating claim to say this is the only way. Are you with me? Yeah. Yes. It will dictate the type of search we will now do. Now if we say there is only one and we are settled on that, how far ahead should that one be to be the only one? How far ahead is the Olympic 100 meters dash champion? How far ahead? 50 meters ahead of the rest? Sometimes it's 0.001 second, right? And that's it. Everybody else ran the whole race beside him except for that 0.001 second and only he is champion, everyone else, sorry sir, he's champion, that's it. So I don't want him to be way ahead, I mean this is a concept. If he's the only way, all he has to do is half a step and that's it. Number two, he doesn't have to be ahead. If we say there's only one, if we say there's for instance, there's only one correct colored marble. In my hand is one green marble and four red marbles. Which is the one that's correct then? Green. Because we already decided that there is only one that is correct. If there is only one correct competitor in the race, Everybody is running and this guy is walking. Which is the correct way to compete? Are you with me? If we decide that there is only one way, the person or that way doesn't have to be in front. You just have to see how different he is or she is or it is. And that's it. Suppose you hate the color brown. There's a dirty brown marble and four red shiny marbles. Which one is it? It's the dirty, bread, dirty brown color. Because we already decided that there's only one way. And if that's the way, the way we're going to look at it, then we have possibly a chance of figuring out which might that way be because there are some claimants out there and there are five of them that we're going to look at from tomorrow, from this afternoon. Hinduism, Islam, Buddhism, Christianity, Judaism. What we're going to do is ask 10 questions. These are not religious questions. If you were there last evening when I was mentioning what I was going to, the, the seminar, I prefaced it by saying you cannot give a religious reason for the existence of God. It is circular reasoning. You cannot give a Christian reason for Christianity. 
That is circular reasoning. It is like saying, what I have said is the truth, because I have said it. For the existence of God, we must have a secular reason, which we saw. Actually, the points we gave were not at all God points. They were just secular points. For Christianity, you must have a multi-religious reason. You cannot have a Christian reason. And then beyond, when you go to your own denomination, then you cannot have your own denomination. For instance, you cannot have an Adventist reason for Adventism. You must have a multi-Christian reason for Adventism. Then it will make sense. The reason we are ashamed to talk to people is because we are sitting in our own little circles and giving our own arguments, our lingo and our jargon is only within that circle. We must be able to talk the other religious talk, not the other type of talk. Then you can meet anybody on earth. And believe me, after I finished my 20 years of search, today I can talk to anyone, atheist, agnostic, Hindu, Muslim, Buddhist, New Ager, anybody. Not that I can convince them, at least I can have an intelligent and reasonable conversation with them. That's the first step. You don't have to win them all. Just be friends with them and understand them as much as you can. So that's what we're going to do. We have done so far these. We have established to a certain degree that the most reasonable option is that there is a God in existence. And if you are very careful and weigh all the evidences out, there is no better scientific statement on earth than the first words, four words of the Old Testament, which said, in the beginning God. There is nothing more scientific than that in any literature on earth today. Number two, of the truths there are, the traditional truth still has relevance. And in the traditional truth, there are so many claimants to be the only way. There is, by logic, only one correct claimant that is legitimate, that is valid. And we're going to look for that. So we'll return uh, to 2.30, is it? You can look at your schedules and see. And we will look at these five religions, asking them ten questions. Three questions we will direct to the writings. And once again, I am saying they are not religious questions. They are questions that anybody can ask. Seven questions directed to the founders of the religions, and we'll see what responses they give from their writings, and just put them out side by side, and see where we come up with. If you have not been taking any notes, you have my book uh, that I can give you at the back. There's a question. Yes, how much are the books? The books are, uh, they retail at 22, but for this conference, 15. Both che if you write a check, it'll be in my name, cash. Please try to bring um, change because I don't have any change. I wish I could have brought it down less, but like I said, this is sustaining my one-man ministry that I go on, so I'll have to sell it. We'll be back. Thank you very much. This media was produced by Audioverse for GYC, Generation of Youth for Christ. If you would like to learn more about GYC, please visit www.gycweb.org 
or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.